Welcome to Season 5 of the Shock Your Potential Podcast with your host, best-selling author and international speaker, Michael Sherlock. The Shock Your Potential Podcast is dedicated to entrepreneurs looking to up their game, increase their income, and scale their businesses to new heights. Shock Your Potential is a professional services company providing affordable services to small businesses, matching entrepreneurs with virtual assistants, and offering specialized leadership and sales training to companies around the world. Learn more today at shockyourpotential.com and listen in now to another motivating episode that will help you to shock your potential. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. And all month long, we are talking about something that's very important to all of us, money, mm, that money matters. You know, we're going to talk about money matters, but we're going to talk about it from some different perspectives, not just about getting more money or having more money, but what does this mean in your life? And my guest today is going to give us some different things to think about with our money. And I think you're going to want to lean into this. Now, let me tell you a little bit about him, because I'm just telling you, this is going to be fun. Now, Joe Templin is a reformed physicist. He's a financial planner, a startup founder, and an autodidactic polymath who is best often described as a Swiss army knife. Now he's invested the past two and a half plus decades. So we can all count those numbers. That sounds very similar to my numbers to helping others reach their financial potential as a planner, trainer, mentor, and creator. Now he served as a member of the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors at the local state and national level, including three terms on the NAIFA, National Young Advisors Team Subcommittee. He earned a CFP and has written hundreds of re- review questions for the exam. And that probably, even though I've never had to take that, thankfully, because I would fail, that just even the concept of writing the exam questions gives me heart palpitations. But he's also been a business columnist for the Albany, Albany that's easy for me to say, Albany Times Union, Advisor Today Magazine, The Boston Journal, and Insurance Net News Net. Now, just about what he does on a day-to-day, he's the managing director of the Unique Minds Consulting Group, LLC, and the author of Everyday Excellence. It was a number one uh, new release on Kindle in the professional development uh, category, so excellent on that one. He's also the co-founder and president of the Intro Machine, Inc., which is an organization dedicated to teaching professionals in a variety of fields how to build an introduction-based business. Now, the last thing I want to tell you, which kind of uh, frightens me and impresses me and exhausts exhaust me all at the same time, in his free time, Joe enjoys, get this, running Ragnars. And if you know what that is, those are uh, relay races that are around 200 plus miles and ultra marathons, which means he's completely lazy and he just never does anything of any worth. I can't even imagine it, Joe. Joe, thank you so much for joining me today. <laughs> thank you, Michael. Uh, so I also do a couple other things, like I'm the worst scout master ever, if you ask my kids. Oh, and uh-huh. I'm a former world champion in Taekwondo. So I, I don't that. sleep that much. <laughs> I know, I was gonna say you drink a lot of coffee, don't you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> In fact, why- I sat on the board yeah. of a coffee company company for that reason. Oh, did you get free coffee? <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh yeah. That reminds me that just when you said that, I interviewed about a year ago, a guy who runs a coffee company. He promised me he was going to send me some and he never did. I'm going to follow up with him. <laughs> Good. See, there, I've added some value. My job today go. is done. Da-da-da. Well, why are you the worst scoutmaster ever? I just have to know that. Because I wanted to set the bar low. 
And um, also with my kids, whether it's my scouts or my actual kids, they know that the answer is probably going to be no. Ah. So there's no snowplow parent here. I'm not going to make it easy for them. In fact, I'm going to make it difficult and they're going to be better for it. And mm -hmm. they're going to learn how to overcome adversity and they're going to learn how to work with reduced resources mm -hmm. to be more successful down the road and they will mm -hmm. appreciate what they have. And that's an attitude that I think young new college graduates just getting going financially actually need to remember. So mm -hmm. I went to grad school for physics and my MBA and all that. And I was working full-time as a college intern with Northwestern Mutual at that point, graduated, went full-time. And I still kept my crappy college apartment for mm -hmm. years. Yep. Okay. I did not have a TV. I did not have a phone because all I did for my first few years was I would get up in the morning for before five o'clock to train. Yeah. I'd be in my office by seven, working seven to five on days I didn't have Taekwondo till nine on days that I did not. Um, then I would train Taekwondo and then afterwards I would go and I would be studying or researching or whatever to further develop myself. So I didn't have time to watch TV, so I didn't need yeah. one. Didn't need yeah, cable. Yeah, just take the distraction out of the way. Yeah, why waste the money? And yeah. all I did was I was willing to sacrifice my early 20s to be able to do in my 30s, 40s and beyond the stuff that other people could only dream about. So, yeah, yeah I still went on trips occasionally. You know, I went diving with my best friends. I competed in all sorts of martial arts tournaments all over the country. But I knew that deferred compensation Mm -hmm. was the best model. So a lot of my friends, five o'clock on Friday, they're out at the bar having mm -hmm. fun and I'd keep working till seven or eight. And then I'd go to the bar and have a couple of drinks with them. But by taking that extra couple of dedicated hours, I was able to accelerate my career much faster than a lot yeah. of my peers. And yeah. part of that is because I maintained that student mindset. We get out of college and so many people are like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm, you know, not studying. I'm not doing anything. I start, rolled right into working towards my CLU and my CFP because mm -hmm. I was still in that mental mindset, that growth idea. And so it kept me there because if you go and completely stop studying and then you have to start studying again, oh, it, yeah. you have to remember how to do it. Your, your mental muscles atrophy. So yeah. instead of doing that, I just continued along that path and I maintained the college lifestyle. I still drank, you know, I drank slightly better beer afterwards, but you know, I <laughs> still, still cheap beer. you know, I, I didn't go, you know, start drinking high-end whiskey, like a lot of my friends or stuff like yeah. that. I'd have a couple of beers. I ate, you know, really boring training food, you know, mm -hmm. so instead of going and living on Ronlin and then taking a big jump up to like steaks and all that and realizing, oh, I got to save money, you know, so I need to cut back. What yeah. I did is I just never let my lifestyle grow as fast as my income. And mm -hmm. so I always stayed below that. And so that gave me a lot of flexibility long range because, you know, as Larry Scarrett says, you know, I'm a simple man, I'm farm kid, grew up and everything. I don't need to have all the flash. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it puts me in a position to be able to do things that few others can long range. When my husband and I first met, he um, would, he was uh, living in Philadelphia, but he still from time to time had to go back to um, 
to Minneapolis where his uh, kids are. And so he kept a car there, but it was a just, I mean, he had this car apparently, I never saw the car, but I've heard stories about the car, you know, and just a piece of, you know, what car. And he said, he goes, I would drive it to the airport. And then he goes, I would literally leave the keys like on the floorboard. I didn't yeah, hoping somebody steals it. Like somebody please steal them. And I said, my God, you could have had a better car. And he goes, I know, but I didn't need it. All it needed to do is take me to the airport and then sit at the airport for a month. You know, so it didn't make a difference to me. So why, why would I do anything? I, different? I, I, the first new, new car, good car that I bought, I was probably over 30 years old at that point. And I bought a Volvo because I'm like, all right, this is the safest car in the road. I'm going to have kids in a year It'll or two. Last I can keep this car for 15 years for yes. quarter million miles. Yes. And, you know, unfortunately, I only had it for eight years because my ex-wife crashed it and just uh, oh. totaled it. So you can total a, a Volvo if you have Bulletproof Mercedes, by the way. But, yeah. you know, so my intent was to buy something of good value that right. you can then keep for an extended period of time. And this is one of the things that I would recommend to your listeners is one of the big differences among the uh financial classes in the United States is the people who are in the upper, upper levels, the people who are truly rich, they buy tremendous value for things mm -hmm. that can last for decades or even centuries, as mm -hmm. opposed to, you know, the quick fix, you know, the shoes that are going to, you know, be worn out in six months or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. so better to spend three times as much for something that lasts 10 times as long. Absolutely. I would, ju I just had a, um, a virtual conference where I interviewed all these different people, experts and icons in the media. And we had um, a woman that uh, we were talking about wardrobe and, you know, we we're talking about what people wear and what makes them look good on, you know, camera and those types of things. But one of the things she said, and it was so great, she said, you know, I really advise people, you know, when you're trying to build your wardrobe, especially if it's going to be for something, cause you're doing television or um, interviews, just buy a couple things, but buy the best things, buy the best things that look the best, you know, try out a couple and then you'll know and only use them for that. And <laughs> nobody's really going to know that that's all you wear, but have just a couple and they will last forever, but make them timeless. And I said, you know, that's really great. That's great advice on so many levels, because if you buy the thing that looks trendy at the moment, it's trends only last for so long. And then you're like, well, now what am I going to do with it? I'm going to give it away. And all that does is speed up your expenses without any recouping any of that investment. Right. Or you have to wait, you know, three decades for parachute pants to come back into vogue uh, and to wear them again. And I was never into that sort of stuff. You know, if I'm not working, I'm a jeans and t-shirt sort of guy. Yeah. And at work, you know, I think this is my one non-white shirt. <laughs> so, you know, it's all, you know, basic, you know, basic suits, they're either black or they're blue, white yeah. shirts. And so I grab a black based tie or a blue based tie, depending on the suit. And mm -hmm. a lot of my suits, uh, a couple of them are actually black with blue pinstripes. So I could grab any tie and I save the time requirement. I don't have to go doing all this matching and coordinating and, you know, replacing. And so it's, it saves mental energy it yeah. also saves money and people don't realize that if you can save on these mental decisions mm -hmm. okay what yeah. it is is you need to uh allocate resources 
whether it's financial resources or mental resources or time. So right. if you can save in one area, that allows you to have more. The, if you're reducing your mental output on useless crap, mm -hmm. then you have more mental energy, more mental resources to dedicate to things that actually pay dividends. Mm -hmm. So there's people who are on the low end of the financial uh, strata actually because of the stress levels make worse financial decisions. Yeah. So if you can reduce the number of decisions that you have to make about useless things or near useless things, it's going to actually allow you to make better financial decisions overall. Yeah. And well, and I was going to ask you, you know, we, we kind of started down a path uh, at the beginning, you know, before we even really started taping and we were, you were talking about, um, you know, yes, you work with people in their finances, that's what you do, but you also want people to take a different view that you want them to um, understand and really conceptualize, you know, what are you trying to achieve with your financial plan? What's this mean? And you talked about, um, we were talking a little bit about, you know, divorce and, and, you know, we were also talking about people planning, but you, you talked about family philosophy, about having people, you know, create a, a, a financial philosophy for their family, whether it's, you know, a couple or it's an entire family. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's, it's such a great thing for us to discuss. And it's something that I don't think people always think about, especially thinking beyond even just the spouses, you know, about having real true financial discussions with a family that talk about this is our family philosophy about money. Yeah. So one of the things is you can tell what class somebody is by their philosophy and attitude around money. You know, for people who are on the lowest end, it is a very scarce resource. So, and you know, people who have money are the enemy. You know, money's the root of all evil and all this. People on that mid-range, it's a limited commodity, and so they have to make these trade-offs. For people on the upper ends, money is a tool. And so they use this tool to do things or what have you. So, for example, um, it, growing up on, on the farm, you know, we fixed everything on our own and you learn to be very handy and all that. And so like I can change my oil, change my tires, fix stuff at the house, whatever is needed to be. And that's great. But one of the things that my friends who come from wealth realize is that money can buy you time. So, mm -hmm. for example, I had my house was 130 years old, so obviously it had some issues and there was a plumbing issue. I'm down uh, in the basement working on everything. I did a calculation. I'm like, this is going to take me 15 hours. Mm -hmm. I can turn around and pay somebody $200 to free up two days of my life. Right. I'm doing it. Right. Okay. And so that's the sort of uh, understanding and philosophy. So, you know, if you can trade time for money, that's work. If you can train, change money for time, that's leisure. And mm. so one of the things that, especially with uh, business owner clients or people who can control their own earnings is, can you outsource stuff? I have clients who are financial advisors who are worth $250, $300 an hour when they're doing their job and they're doing $10 an hour work mm. for like three, four hours a day. It's like, go hire a part-time close to minimum wage person to do yes. that. That frees up four hours of your time 
per week, that's 20 hours. Right. Okay. You're complaining that you're working 70 hours a week. Well, that could bring you down to 50 or you could take 10 of those hours, go and make 250, $300, $400 an hour and further increase your earnings while still getting some free time. So it's understanding this trade-off and being able to have financial leverage. Yes. And Absolutely. so when you're young, you do whatever you can because you have all the time in the world. But as you get married, you have kids, you know, you have health issues or whatever, you, time starts becoming a premium, you start learning to swap that out. So mm -hmm. like when my kids were old enough to start mowing the lawn, it's like, okay, guys, your turn to do it, not me, because that three hours that tipped me to mow the lawn, they can go mow the lawn and I could do something more important in terms of working on the house or they could do that. I would take care of the other chores and then we would actually have time to spend together, mm -hmm. which was even more valuable. And you can't put a price tag on that. That's so true. That's one yeah. of the things about understanding money and our philosophies on money are carried forth and reflected in our decisions. And those philosophies are created relatively early. So one of the questions that I ask any financial plan client that I work with, and I teach other financial planners to ask their clients, is what is your earliest and or strongest memory of money from growing up? Mm -hmm. And how has that influenced you? Mm -hmm. And I, the clients are like, wow, I didn't realize this was going to be a therapy session. And they'll literally <laughs> talk for 30, 40 minutes off of what that seminal event was and how it's influenced their choices to this day. Mm -hmm. And you get a, a couple sitting there and one tells their story and the other tells theirs and they've never heard this from each other. They could have been together 20 years and they don't understand why the other person makes these financial decisions. Right. And so uh, divorces are expensive. So if you're working with a couple, having them have this conversation relatively early in their life it, or as a couple is critical because Divorces have skyrocketed in COVID, something like 40%. And we're seeing a huge jump among people who have been married 20 plus years. But, you know, once you're married, you know, divorce becomes a very expensive proposition. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. so it, it, investing the time essentially on financial counseling to understand why you make these choices why your significant other makes these choices and how do we come up with a unified family philosophy is important. I mean, if you've got one who paid for their college by doing ROTC and the other one, mommy and daddy paid, yep. then you're going to have a huge disparity. And the one who mommy and daddy paid for it, it's like, okay, how are we going to do that for our kids if that's what we want? The one right. who's, who did ROTC or played on an athletic scholarship, they're going to be mm -hmm. like, well, you know, the kids are going to do it this way. Well, how are we going to do that? And what's the backup plans? So yeah. having this unified philosophy is important. And then it can pass on down to the next generation. So like my children know how important education is. And just like uh, I learned, it's learning and education, not necessarily school. Because mm -hmm. 
you can be taking extracurricular courses. My kids, uh, the oldest one actually is a pretty hardcore computer programmer. He's only 17 years old. Okay, so good. you don't necessarily need to follow the traditional path. I mean, I certainly did. And I started college at 13 because my parents said 12 was too young. So wow. yeah, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> call you so, Sheldon. <laughs> I was a physicist. I know. Now I'm really impressed. <laughs> so so having this understanding of your own financial philosophies and being able to discuss it with your partner or your business partners, if you're going into business, because you might have one person who wants a lifestyle business, the other one wants to grow this into a unicorn and sell it off for a billion bucks. You need to make sure that there is a unifying theme or else you're going to have friction. And when you have friction in a machine, that's why it breaks. Yeah, I agree. I love it. Well, Joe, we're going to take a a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor and we will be right back. Do you want to be a go-to expert that news reporters, anchors, and media producers turn to? Are you a media professional looking for credible, reliable, and timely guests? If you answered yes to either of those questions, then shock your media potential is for you. This one-of-a-kind platform connects vetted experts with news professionals around the globe. As a part of our launch celebration, you can participate for free in our Shock Your Media Potential virtual conference, running March 28th through April 1st. Together with my co-host, Eddie Luisi, known as Stage Manager to the Stars, and also Stage Manager for Good Morning America, We have interviewed 25 media personalities and professionals to ask them the questions you need to know the answers to. Like, how can I make myself more newsworthy? How do I best pitch a story? How do I get invited back again and again? And much more. Some of our guests are household names with exceptional on-camera careers. Others are award-winning directors, producers, camera operators, audio engineers, celebrity hair and makeup professionals, and so much more. To learn more about our platform and our conference today, go to shockyourmediapotential.com. All right, here we go. And we are back with Joe Templin. We are talking about all things, really about communication, not only communication with our partners and our families, but I think communication with ourselves of understanding. I love the uh, the question you said, you know, I pose this to my clients, like what's the first, you know, money memory you have as a child? And I had somebody when we were doing this series last year who asked me that question and I had never thought about it because I've had an interesting, like a lot of people, interaction and, and relationship with money over time. And um, I'm very thankful for my relationship with my husband right now, because he's helped me to, you know, calm myself and my fears in some areas and really have us evolve together financially as a couple. It's been amazing. But when somebody asked me that question, I had to think back about the first thing that popped into my mind. I was shocked by what came through. And I then I started reflecting on how that one memory of me um, really played itself out in different ways throughout my life. And when I recognized that, then I was like, oh, 
that's why I freak out. That's why I squirrel yeah. things away. That's why at certain times when I'm stressed, I want to go out and go shopping. Um, and I, I'm not a big shopper at all. I'm, I don't, you know, it's, I'd hate going to buy clothes. It just drives me crazy, but it doesn't mean I just don't want to spend money. So, um, it was really eye-opening for me. And I went and I told my husband about it afterward. And I said, you know, I just had this interview and I told him the story and he goes, oh, that explains a lot. (laughs) And so did you turn around and ask him what his was so that you guys can have a discussion around it? Yeah. And And so that led, yeah, it led to a lot of interesting dialogues, but to your last point where you're talking about college, um, it really, and it ended with a very interesting um, dialogue with us. Our kids are all grown and they're all past the age of going to college now. Um, uh, one did and graduated, one did and almost graduated and one kind of played around with it and he's, you know, wherever he is. But, um, but I got through college by scholarships. And my husband was the firstborn in his family and he had to pay for it all himself. So his approach with his two kids is I'll give you four years and four wheels. So they each got not a brand new car at all, but a used car when they turned, you know, when they got their driver's license and he said, I'll give you four years of college and that's it. After that, it's on your own, but I will do that. And I was of the different mindset. I, you know, with my son, I was like, dude, I don't think you're going to go to school anyway. So, you know, if you do, I will pay for it, but not until after you've, you know, proven to me that you can and such a different perspective. And, and when we have this dialogue, we're like, wow, look at, you know, we didn't really explain these things to our kids. And so now it's kind of a different format. Now we're grandparents. And so we've got seven, five-year-old grandchildren and we're like putting money away every month for their 529s. Like that is so important to us because that dialogue made us say, we actually were doing that before, but we increased the amount because we're like, you know what? We don't want them to have the, the worries that, you know, at all, but we want it to be there, but we're going to have dialogues with them about it too. We're going to explain what you had a better understanding of your why. And when you have a strong why that makes the how that much easier. Nietzsche yes. talked about this. Lots of other philosophers and psychologists have talked about it over the centuries. And so if you really understand why you want to do something, it makes the discussions around it a lot easier because you're clear about what your value and concern is. Yes. And it makes it so that the sacrifice is not nearly as much because you're feeling part of the reward of the grandkids being able to finish school. And that's important to you. So, you know, if I told you, okay, you got to give me $2,000 a month for, to throw down a hole, you'd be like, what the hell? But if I'm like, (laughs) give me $2,000 a month, because it's going to give your grandchildren the opportunity for education and freedom down the road and all this, that is important to you. You'll be like, okay, where do I write the check? Exactly. And we came out of it also saying, but we're going to talk to, as the kids get older, we're going to explain to them what this is, what it's for, you know, what they can use it for. Cause you know, obviously with 529s, there's only certain ways they can use it. Um, but, and if they don't use it or we can't transfer it to any other grandkids that we will make decisions on where we want that to go, you know, how you have to um, deal with those accounts, but we were very much more committed it wasn't just a nice thing to do anymore for our grandkids. It was something that we became uh, completely aligned and passionate about together. Because absolutely, you're right. We knew the why. We know, knew both of our backstories then. Mm-hmm. And that was the decision that went, okay, we're in. 
So here's one of the questions. Have you talked with your kids about your experiences with money growing up and how that's influenced you so that they can understand that component too? Um, yes. Now, what's really interesting, and luckily my son uh, will not listen to this podcast because he never listens to anything I do, um, but he, is, uh, he turns 31 on Saturday. Uh, he's getting married in June, and he's also the one that's given me two grandchildren. So uh, he, the woman he's married is, is not their biological mother, but she's mother in every other way. My son has full custody. And my son has made more poor financial decisions than I ever did, and I made a boatload. And I was just with him a few months ago, and I was trying to explain to him. I said, you know, look, I, I'm trying to help you recognize and makes just, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I just want you to recognize what some of these choices are taking away from your future. And I'm not talking about your future when you're 55. I'm talking about your future when you're 40, right. you know, or the fact that, you know, your, your, your bride-to-be wants to have another baby and you guys really can't afford the two you've got, <laughs> you know? I mean, I want you guys to, I want you to just step back and see. And, you know, God love them both. And thank God, neither one of them will listen to this. Um, they just don't get it. They, they don't get it. They think we know what we're doing. You know, you're, you don't, you're, you're too old. You know, yeah. that was in your day. It's not in my day. And finally I was just like, okay. And I remember yoga dog who just says, that's okay. You just breathe. You know what? This makes me even more committed to taking care of our grandchildren for their future. And that's all, that's the best we can do. Gotta let and it go. I, I see that with my coaching clients, a lot of their financial planning clients. It's that baby boomer who needs to take care of the grandchildren mm -hmm. or members of the silent generation, like my parents, who, you know, they've got Gen Xers who are stuck in the sandwich generation, or, you know, we came on out during bad economic times in the uh, mid nineties. And so it's still impacted the career. So yeah. uh, one of the things that the old saying is that children, grandchildren and the grandparents have a mutual enemy. And so <laughs> you see the grandparents all, you know, they'll take better care financially of their grandchildren and yeah. they are nicer you know my my kids are like grandpa's so fun i'm like he wasn't that way for me okay so <laughs> you know they they take care of two generations down in a yeah. lot of ways yeah. and we see this um it, we've seen this among the wealthy people who have multi-generational wealth have yeah. done this very often where they are more concerned about making sure that two generations down is taken care of and there's the good groundwork for education they're learning discipline on this stuff because the pendulum in terms of attitudes tends to swing back and forth you know you'll yeah. have one generation very frugal the next one will be a little bit more wasteful than back to frugal and yeah. so keeping this in mind when you're looking at your financial philosophies is how do you have that sort of impact that you want to make sure that your children and grandchildren are inheriting the mindset around money that you desire. Yeah. And that's why we figure when they get old enough, we're going to start having discussion. We'll just, you know, worry about the parents. They can figure it out. 
but we're going to have conversations with them and explain what we've done and why and why it's important to us and what we want them to gain from it. And, and what their they, responsibility is too. What their responsibility is. Yeah. Because absolutely. everyone talks about, oh, these are my rights. Well, you've got responsibilities that go with that too, kid. You know, yeah. you've got the right for me to help pay for your college, but you have a responsibility to do all your work and, you know, maintain a be average and give it your full effort or else absolutely. this is going away. Or else we can take that 529 and put somebody else's name on it. <laughs> That's right. Or you know what? You can always use it for yourself to go study, you know, cooking at the Sorbonne. I never knew that. I could use it myself. Well, screw the grandkids. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God, Joe, I could talk to you all day. I love it. We're going to have all of your contact information on our show notes, but just in case somebody's like, I like this guy. I want to look him up right now. What's the best way for them to find you? So the best way to find me is um, in the Irish pub, probably, but otherwise <laughs> they can find me on Twitter and Facebook at EDE with Joe. That's at EDE for Everyday Excellence, my newest book with Joe, or they can find me at everyday-excellence.com or on LinkedIn. Excellent. Well, before we go, even though you've already given us a lot of wisdom, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? One of the things in terms of success, whether it's financially, professionally, academically, in a lot of capacities, is to look at what Stephen Covey said. Begin with the end in mind. Where do you want to go? What do you want to achieve? And by doing that, you can focus on making the best possible choices. Because I have a philosophy that has driven my life and it's behind my writing and my coaching in a lot of ways that we want to ultimately have excellence as opposed to convenience. Mm. And people all too often take the easy route, whether it's you know, playing video games instead of studying, where it's going and putting the burrito on the credit card instead of going home and making dinner on their own, things like that, which ultimately convenience has a cost mm -hmm. and that cost could financially kill you. So choose to be excellent as opposed to taking the easy and convenient route. I love it. Excellent advice. Joe, thank you so much for everything you shared with us today. It certainly got me thinking. I took a lot of notes and thank you so much for being our guest today. Michael, thank you. This was a blast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.